0: the one player podcast. I'm your host Albert and this is episode 2. In today's show I'm going to talk about online resources for the solitaire gamer and I'm also going to talk about solitaire games. Yeah yeah I know the show is about solitaire games but more specifically I'm going to talk about games designed exactly for one player. Uh, finally I'm going to review a game Fueled Commander Alexander by Verson Games. Alright on with the show. Before I start with our feature, I'm going to read some feedback I got via BoardGameGeek. Here's a part of it. This is from Chris. I think your 10 categories of solo games is very solid, even though I was surprised that some games didn't get any mentions, like Pandemic in the co-op category. What I wanted to hear, however, was why you care so much about solitaire games. Is most of your gaming solitaire, or do you just enjoy it in addition to your regular gaming? It's okay for you to spend some time talking about yourself on your podcast, and I think it helps to give a frame of reference. For what you're looking for in your solo gaming experience, Chris. Thanks for that feedback. Um, yeah, I, I regarding the uh, the categories and not mentioning games. I wanted to keep it to three games. I didn't want to make this long list of games, and it was hard to narrow it down. I also didn't want to just talk about the most common and popular games, so I tried to be a little bit different. Actually, with Pandemic specifically, I don't know what it is about the game, but I don't like Pandemic. I've played it a few times. I've had fun every time I've played it, but I don't like it. Um, So I was just not tempted to include it. Um, I will probably talk about Pandemic at some point, and I'm sure I'll talk fairly about it, because it is a good, solid game. Um, Regarding myself, let's see, why do I like uh, Solitaire games so much? I don't know. I've liked games for years. Um, I remember playing games when I was little 7 or 8 with my brother and sister I've liked video games for years also at one point I decided I want to be a video game programmer and I am a programmer now but I don't do video games so I've always enjoyed games against people or solo when I got into board gaming again about 8 or 10 years ago um, I was living in San Francisco and none of my friends are at the time We're into board games that much, so I started looking at some of the solitaire games. I think I like solitaire games in part because they are like puzzles and it's fun working them out. I like playing them just because of the story and it's fun to move the pieces around. I like the the tactile feel of all that. I find that the kinds of video games I like are very board gamey and they're term-based games and that sort of thing. My wife and I tend to work different schedules and we've got two little kids so I find I don't have a lot of time to play games. By the time I do it's late at night the kids are in bed my wife may or may not be home so it's easy to pull out a, a solitaire game and play that. I do also like multiplayer games. I tend not to like abstracts too much. I like games with theme. I like if the theme has something to do with the mechanics so I guess that's not necessary. Again, because I've got kids and because of the schedules and things, long games are not going to get played very often. Short games are going to get played a lot more. I'd love to be able to sit down and play a game of Ambush. I never have. I only I've never played it, but I think it's because it takes supposedly three or four hours. And just the thought of doing that is daunting, honestly. So that that's a little bit about me, and that's where I come from. I hope that gives some perspective in uh, the games I talk about and the things I say. Yeah, thanks again. So if you're looking for more information on solitaire board gaming, there's quite a few online resources you could turn to. first one is BoardGameGeek, or BGG, at a www.boardgamegeek.com. It's definitely the best website on the internet for any board game-related information. Thirty or 40,000 games, if not more, are listed on there. Are tons of pictures of games, reviews, discussions, questions, etc., etc. Chances are you already know about that side if you're listening to the show. Anyway, that's a great place and you can do an advanced search if you're looking, if you're trying to find more games you didn't know about. On the top there's a search box and actually click advanced search and then it'll open up a new window and you can scroll down and you'll see it says, you'll see has a, a place to enter the number of players. You type in from one player and leave the two blank and hit search and it'll return all games that support one or more player. Alternately, you could select one-to-one, one and then click the exact radio button next to that, and hit search, and it'll return games for exactly one player. Also, you could refine the search even more by selecting uh, themes or game mechanics. is a huge selection to pick from. So it just it, it's a neat place to explore if you're just looking to learn about some new games you've never seen before. On BGG, you could also search for geek lists. If you're not familiar with them, lists are basically lists of games that people make on any theme or subject they want. At the top of the page, there's a search box for games or other things. Next to the search box, you'll see a drop-down. Click on that and select GeekList, and then type in the text box, type the word Solitaire and hit Search. And it'll return any GeekList that has a title or contains the word Solitaire. In it. That'll give you a lot of hits. Some of them are interesting, some aren't. You could go through that. If you want to narrow it down a little more, after you get the data back, you'll see a checkbox saying Search Only Titles. Click that, and that tends to make results more accurate a lot of the time. If you type the word solo for the search, you'll also find some more geek lists that you might have missed the other way. The next thing you can try in BGG is to do a a forum post. You'd be surprised how many replies you'll get and how quickly you'll get them. If if you say you're looking for a solitaire game and kind of give the criteria you have, you'll get a lot of suggestions. So that's worth trying. And Finally on BoardGameGeek there are a new feature, blogs, which have been added there for I think two or three months now. I've come across two Solitaire Gaming blogs so far. One of them is called Solitary Soundings by Patrick Carroll. He posts pretty regularly and there's always something interesting usually related to Solitaire Gaming. That one's worth checking out for sure. The other one is Combat Commander Solo, I haven't read it yet, I've marked it, meaning to go back to it, um, by Joe Faust. He's gone and described all his uh solitaire sessions for Combat Commander, scenario by scenario, and given an explanation of how he plays it. And that one definitely looked interesting. The next place you can check is Solo Nexus. Um, that's at solonexus.blogspot.com. This is a, a blog. That has regular posts and a lot of information on solitaire gaming. Most of it not from Board Game Geek. It's surprising how many different things he comes across, such as a, a solitaire RPG contest, solitaire rules for heroescape, etc., etc. Definitely worth checking out. And finally, there's Victory Point Games. Uh, they put desktop published games, and they have quite a few games that are for one player, one or more player, I guess. Um, most notably, they have the State of Siege line. So that's it for my list of solitaire resources. I'll make sure to post links on the blog's page. Solitaire games, or games for me, myself, and I. So I started this uh, topic by going to BoardGameGeek and doing a search of all games for exactly one player. I was surprised to find almost 500 games on the list. It's something like 480 or so. So Not surprisingly, most of those are war games. But out of that list, there's only about 70 games that are ranked. This list of 70 games has quite a a range of game types. They they go from complex war games like Fields of Fire to Solitaire. The... um, the peg jumping game in which you're trying to eliminate the pegs by jumping them checker style and only have one left in the board at the end of the time. I was surprised that was listed here because it, it's more of a puzzle than a game. And also incidentally the oldest game on this list. It's uh, from 1697. So I think it's fair to say that for every solitaire game the goes is for you the player to beat the system. Now, there's generally going to be some sort of obstacle you got to overcome. And to make this a game and not the same repetitive task over and over, there's generally going to be something to randomize the game and make a challenge for you. So now I'm going to list this in different types of uh, randomizations or challenges that you could face. The most basic types of games are just puzzle games, which is just a step away from a puzzle. You're gonna set it up, once you've set it up there's a a specific number of steps you take to get the answer and if you set it up the same the next game you're gonna get the same answer. Once you're playing there is no more randomization, no dice rolling or anything. These are probably the most basic games with Solitaire like I mentioned or Patience or Klondike even. The next set of games are dice games these generally you're rolling dice. To me to go. A game in this category is Dice of the Living Dead, which is basically a Yahtzee style game where you're fighting zombies. Each turn you roll dice and see how many zombies you kill and each turn more zombies might be coming back and That's basically the whole game. Roll dice and there's a little bit of planning on how you where you apply the dice. But not much. It's just fun it's a fun game. Next category of games, can now hear there's a bunch of categories, I'm not sure how to rank these, so maybe I'll just list them off. They're chip-pull games, which are very common, it's a common mechanism for war games. You have a, a bucket of counters in each turn, or uh, some event will trigger you to draw a counter from a cup, and you place them on the board to do whatever you need to do with those counters, and there's some sort of reset counter then when you draw that one, you put all your other counters back in the cup and start again. So this way you never know how many counters you're going to draw again of a certain type. It, it adds a random element to it. That's uh, predictability. These tend to work pretty well. They're surprisingly fun. It seems like they'd be kind of a hassle, but it's so easy to do the chip pulls that it, it plays smoothly. The next category are card-driven games. These can be pretty neat. Basically, each turn you might draw a card or a number of cards that tell you what's going to happen or how many points you have to spend that turn. Often the cards have multiple uses. For example, it might tell you how to move your enemy, how many points you have to spend that turn, and if you're having combat, you might draw a card to find out the results of the combat. So you don't really know which cards will get used for their events and which cards might get used for something else which makes the game um, more tense. Most of the State of Siege games fall into this category. The next category are paragraph-driven games. Um, In the last episode I mentioned Choose Your Own Adventure. These games might be similar to that. You read a paragraph. It tells you what encounters you have. You deal with them. Then you decide where you go next. And you look up that paragraph. Read it and find out what happens. These, since there's paragraphs, and once you've read them, you know what's gonna happen in the story. These tend to be one-time games, unless you've got really bad memory. In that case, you could probably play it pretty regularly. Next are chart lookup games. These are generally war games, which you're gonna be moving around the board freely. You're gonna, whenever you come to an encounter, to have a fight or whatever, you can roll dice and look up the results on the chart to find out what happens. These could be pretty open games with a lot of options, a lot of strategy and tactics you can plan out. They could be, on the other extreme, could be very controlled games like B-17, Queen of the Skies, which is pretty much roll and see what happens all the way through with a couple small choices, I think. And finally we have our last category, event-driven games. This category is pretty much a uh I I don't want to come up with categories for everything else category. Well, what I decided these are, these are games where your actions are gonna decide what stuff happens, like we're move into space and add Connors to it. This is a lot like paragraph driven games where as you move around the story evolves. The, the main difference is these don't have as nice a narrative and I guess a, a little drier in theme. So that's it, that's my list. Excuse me, there's a cat here making noise. So that's my list of uh, solitaire game mechanics. Every solitaire game is going to lie somewhere between no randomness, complete predictability, to utter chaos. And I think the best games fall somewhere in between that, where the games aren't always the same, but you do feel like you've got some control of what's going on. Otherwise, they just aren't that satisfying with that, I think we're ready to go into our next section. A review of Field Commander Alexander. So today's game is Field Commander Alexander, designed by Dan Verson and published in two, nine, 2009 by Dan Verson Games. This game comes in a... The game comes in a, a standard war game size box. That's... 9, 10 by 12-ish. Inside the box you get a... I think a 14-page rulebook, a a game log, a bunch of counters, and four mounted map boards. The counters are really nice quality too. I want to man- make sure to mention that. If your cat comes along and bats them off the board, they make a really nice sound as it hit the ground. In this game, you're playing Alexander the Great... I don't know a lot about Alexander the Great, so I'm going to read what it says here in the rule book. Alexander the Great was born in, on July 28, 356 B.C. in Macedon, a city-state of ancient Greece. He died on June 10, 323 B.C. in the city of Babylon at the age of 33. So in fact, his uh, the anniversary of his death is coming up next week. So when you play this game, you'll set up Alexander and his army on some space on the map and in other spaces on the map you'll set up uh, standing armies that you will be attacking generally in cities but not necessarily you'll also start the game with some amount of gold which you will be able to use later to buy other units or to build cities or temples that uh, affect the gameplay generally in this game you're moving around and attacking those standing armies so you you attack the weakest cities for the weakest places first. Fight them, beat them, hopefully, and keep getting stronger until you could beat the, what I like to think of as the boss, the boss army, which is going to be the toughest one on the map. It sounds pretty straightforward, but there's a lot of things in it that make the game more complex and a lot more interesting. There's also um, prophecies that you could accomplish, which are things like defeat an army by the and f- within the next four turns or acquire a certain amount of gold before the prophecy expires. If you do that, you get to make Alexander a bit stronger. What this game really shines is in the many ways you have to to make each game play a little bit differently. You could go after prophecies and make yourself stronger or you could just ignore them and waste less time on that. Hopefully finishing the game soon and ending with more victory points. Each time there's a battle you're going to draw ba- random battle plans for your opponent, and pick some for yourself. These can be things like certain units are stronger for a round, or you get to do extra damage if your army is stronger, or you might end up having to pay some gold to, depending on the battle plan your opponent drew. Or the, yeah, I guess your opponent, whatever. There's also um, advisors in the game. You could start with a certain number of advisors, depending on which campaign you're playing. Each advisor has a different ability. Some help you in combat. Some give you other benefits that are not necessarily combat-related. Um, another thing that makes this game more variable is the unit types. There's, I don't know, about seven or eight unit types to pick from, and you could choose which ones you buy. You start with a certain army, but you could buy different units later. And each unit type, some might shoot sooner in a turn. Some might have better hit, better rolls to hit. Some might do more damage. So you can mix and match any way you want and that can definitely impact the way the game plays out. When you conquer a city, you can choose to raise it for instant money or or conquer it and uh, take over it and make less money every turn. So And there's more and more things that will affect the gameplay. So that's what really makes this game so cool. It's all the control you have over how it plays. So earlier I mentioned the chip pull mechanism. This game has one. At the beginning of each turn, there you draw a counter from a, a shuffled stack of counters, which could have just well been a cup. Um And it'll tell you how many units to put in an enemy Operation Forces box, or how much to pay not to have to do that. If the counter is a go counter, you then roll the die to see on which of the standing armies you're going to put those units in. And then you're going to reshuffle the counters again for the next round. This way, as you're playing, one of the armies will probably get stronger. You'd never know from game to game which one it might be. I don't think I mentioned it before, but each of the four boards is a separate campaign. They each have some custom rules, not too much, but they'll also have, they might have unique victory conditions. Generally, the game ends with Alexander dying or you conquering the, the boss army. It, if you die, you lose the game. If you kill the boss army, depending on which turn you did it, that affects how many victory points you have. You add that to that things like how many cities you've built. Each city's worth 5 victory points. So, like I said, I like this game. I like the way it plays and I like how it feels. I've got a lot of control for what's going on and what choices I make. I mentioned how there's a lot of different things you could do to, that affect the gameplay that make it play out differently and I didn't really go into all of them actually so there's a few others that I didn't mention so that being said I've only played the game twice so far it's something I'd definitely play again I think a game lasts about an hour About the only thing I think I don't like is that I found the rules really confusing I, I found myself especially that first game going back and reading the book, rule book again and trying to find text that I hadn't quite understood and finding it really hard to find some of the information in the book. It would take two or three passage, readings through a passage to realize what i what I was looking for was in there once once I got past that though it really it the game plays pretty smoothly and pretty quickly. This is also one of a game in a series. The first one was Field Commander Rommel. I haven't played that one. I don't know much I don't know anything about it. Um, I don't know if the third one is out or not, and I think it's Field Commander Napoleon. Okay, and that's my coverage of Field Commander Alexander. Well, that's the end of today's episode. If you would like to contact me, you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek, or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected by a Creative Commons license. The song and copyright information can be found at gemendo.com. Thanks for listening.